Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. No, not tonight. Here's Peter Sherman for Alex Pearson, and this is Counterpoint. Counterpoint brought to you by pizzaville.ca or call 416-736-3636. And we welcome a couple of people to the uh, roundtable tonight. John Mraz, former Liberal War Room director with several dozen elections worth of experience. How's John? Terrific. I'm in the middle of moving my house. It's a day in paradise. Oh, my God. I, you know what? I, did, I moved two houses over the uh, course of the past, uh, I guess, two months. And uh, it ain't fun. I'm glad it's over, and I wish you good luck. David Tarrant is in studio. David and I know each other for a long time. He's VP of National Strategic Communications with Enterprise Canada. But for a very long time, David, you and I served together in Queen's Park. Yeah, I think we're having more fun now, Peter. Well, I think you're having more fun now. You escaped in May. <laughs> <laughs> Got it under the wire, someone might say. There you go. Okay, so we have a, n- a number of topics that uh, we can hit tonight. And one of them is um, liberals, and I'm talking about the federal liberals, have added uh, a couple of far-right extremist groups to the list of outlawed terror networks. And and so I, I have a question. We don't have to go into what the groups are. I, I think uh, you guys read and I read and the people out there have heard on the newscast. What I want to know is this. Are we seeing uh, a liberal amp-up? of the white supremacy and hate criticism as a pre-election move to conflate conservatism with hatred, or are we really seeing an increase in hatred? John, I throw it to you first. I think it's both. I mean, I think it, 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 it's utterly convenient to the liberals. Uh, their talking points uh, uh, dating back as far as the ascension of Harper have been that there is a dog whistle to racists and to the intolerant, to people who don't believe in the charter, within the ranks of the Conservative Party, but with our pres- the President of the United States down in the South really not getting in the way of uh, a rising tide of white nationalism and xenophobia, we have seen a resurgence. I think the data is there in uh, certainly the courage and uh, the public demonstrations of white power groups. I'm not sure they're terrorists. We used to just call them skinheads and try to keep them off the streets of Toronto. But they're certainly a dangerous bunch, uh, and uh, Justin Trudeau uh, is taking every opportunity to make hay while the sun shines. Do you go along with that, David, the, this business of, uh, of the duality existing? Because there's a liberal person opposite you saying, yeah, it is both things, and you're a conservative person by background and currently. Uh, is, is this duality there? Because we just had uh, somebody talk to us about uh, hatred uh, in, in um, various communities, uh, so talking about, um, for example, uh, LGBTQ2, talking about um, sexual orientation generally and, and uh, gender discrimination, people um, committing violence against women, um, anti-Jewish, anti-Muslim, all of this stuff, uh, and saying that this is coming from the United States and the attitude that emanates from the White House and it's spilling over into Canada. Are, are you there or, or do you think it's something well, else? Well, no, Peter, there's just two things here that I think we got to talk about first. And the first thing is, listen, the national security uh, people in, in Ottawa say that, that there's a violent neo-Nazi group out there. Well, yeah, I think that's pretty unifying that we probably should be in the business of trying to force violent neo-Nazis out of business. Mm-hmm. Um I think the the wider issue here is though um, there is a, a a constant drumbeat uh, within certain people in progressive politics and particularly in within liberal politics and and Prime Minister Trudeau and the people around him uh, to conflate mainstream conservative views 
with some of this kind of alt-right bigoted foolishness we, we see uh, on the margins. And so, you know, uh, and one of the hardest places to be is actually someone who actually wants to talk about a, a tolerant mainstream conservative views, because next thing you know, um, there's some Yahoo on Twitter saying, hell yeah, I agree with that. And, and that just gives proof to, uh, uh, to the Liberal Party that actually they're one and the same. And, and so, the, you know, like the Liberal Party around Justin Trudeau is not going to do any work to actually say, you know, there's a place in the debate for mainstream conservatives. The more voters confuse these crazy racists and bigots and Nazis with mainstream opinions, the better it is for, for, for Mr. Trudeau. So I think for people like me, who actually hold mainstream conservative views, it's really important for us to say, hey, like, you know, we agree we should we should be trying to drive these people out of business with these neo-Nazi groups or other other racist groups, um, um, but but not take the base uh, because at the end of the day there is a cynicism there. But at the same but at the same time, like you know, as a national security thing, if someone wants to say someone's a violent neo-Nazi, I think everybody of every political persuasion should unite behind that. So what I'm hearing from both of you, in a manner of speaking, and I'm, I guess you could say I'm dumbing this down, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I have to. Uh, Trudeau is not going out there with a bucket of hot tar and feathers uh, to get Andrew Scheer or labeling him anything. But if the chips fall where they may and you can you can make a, a connection between people who think conservatively and a rise in hate against various groups, that seems to be OK with him. Is that a fair statement, John Ross? It is. I, I, I'm curious to see as um, as these hate groups become more sort of courageous, for lack of a better word, or, or more uh, demonstrated or exercised or, uh, or incautious. Uh, as we know, in the United States, uh, you've had countermeasures by uh, Antifa groups that are equally guilty of radical, violent tactics that do nothing to serve a plurality of tolerance and you know, good good government and law and order. And so I'll be curious to see if Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, my party, are just as quick to caution those who seek to fight the alt-right outside of legal measures. David Tarrant? Yeah, I mean, uh, I hope John is right. Uh, I'm not holding my breath on that. And, and, and at the same time, uh, at the same time, listen, as uh, you know, the, I, I, the, you know, one of the things that came out the news today as well. It's worth remembering that that they didn't just list these, these, these far right groups. They also listed like a, a several groups affiliated with the Iranian regime. So it's not like they're just listing uh, just listing uh, uh, far right groups uh, as as these national security threats. Um, uh, so I, I, more so than this is a far right or far left. Um, certainly, if, if, if Justin Trudeau wants to ring the warning bell about one kind of violent hate group, uh, hopefully he's prepared to ring the warning bell about all of them. Um, hopefully. But, yeah, hopefully. Uh, but, of course, only one kind of alarm bell wins him votes, hopefully. If, if, I, if I could interject, sure. it, it would be... If I was, you know, if I was running advance or vetting rooms for conservative candidates or elected politicians, uh, this would be a time to be on my best game because, of course, mistakes are made. Sometimes the wrong people get in a photo, wrong people are on stage, wrong people are allowed to attend an event. And we have uh, all sorts of tech measures and software measures to help us along in these. But there's a lot of gotcha stuff that's gone on the last year that's been just unfair. You cannot always control who comes to your rally. That's been equally true for the liberals when it's come to some extremist groups. 
in the 905 that have attended liberal rallies back when I was working on the nomination process in 2004. And we had the same problems. So everybody's got to be on their best game. And it's going to be tough because the conservatives are having a tough time and have had a tough time shaking, as you say, rightfully, solid, decent conservatives who embrace the same morality and the same uh, the same values that, that we all do on this panel and say we have, no, we have no time for these Nazis and radicals who like to pretend that they are normal conservatives and infiltrate the conservative party. It's a tough time, I think. Yeah, and I, I think one thing that these, uh, these, these, these far-right groups uh, have in common, say, with, with, uh, you know, with progressive critics of them is they like to inflate their numbers. Right, because you know, if you if you are if you if you are a small group of these skinheads or neo Nazis, you want to inflate, say, you're a bigger presence than you are. And yeah, we had two thousand people yes, there, and yeah. it's fifty. Yeah, and quite frankly, so do the liberals in saying they're actually a larger share of actually of conservatives. But as someone who spent my career in conservative politics. Like you go to a conservative rally and you see a, an amazing diversity of opinion, a uh, whole different ranges of opinions. So someone's a fiscal conservative or libertarian or social conservative or, or, or whatever their views are. Like you have to lurk under a lot of rocks to find some of these people scurrying out. And, uh, and so it's, they're, they're, neither, they're neither particularly present nor are they representative. And anyone who tries to suggest otherwise is quite, plant, frankly, uh, uh, engaging in, in, in slanderous electioneering. Well, I think, I think we can conclude on this topic by, uh, by saying this, and I, I've heard it from both of you in one way or another. Uh, you've got parties out there, and I don't really care if it's liberal or conservative or, for that matter, green or NDP. I think, by and large, the people who serve in these parties are people who are free of these kinds of prejudices, and it's too bad that we just can't fight a damn election on the basis of who's best to govern Canada. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Okay, let's move on. In fact, in, in, the, in the vein of elections, Twitter has banned political ads during the pre-campaign, and they define that as the period starting later this week on the 30th of June. Um, what do you think of that as a policy? They do. They will allow advertising, of course, during the writ uh, that's that's vetted. But in the in the period of time now going forward, and there are various iterations of this policy on different social media. Should we be controlling social media, David Tarrant? You know, I really don't want to be boring your audience to sleep here, Peter. Okay. Uh, uh, Bill C seventy six, the Election Modernization Act, and went. Which has worked is was fundamentally lacking a, a literacy in how elections are run and how actually these new social media platforms actually operate, and and so you're dealing with a, like, you know, Google is the second largest company in the world, and they just said like we can't handle this. We're like, not we, doing we, election ads. Think think how ridiculous, uh, ridiculously bureaucratic and obtuse and ill thought out. Like the people who made this kind of rule are people who think Facebook is two words. Like they obviously have no idea how actual social media platforms actually operate in, in modern politics. Um, so I, I think we call that one a miss. Um, but I, here's what I'd say: you know, the the whole idea of C seventy six was was to fight fairer elections. Um, my faith in the intent of the Trudeau government in this is strained. Uh, you know, the, this is the government that tried to rig Canada's electoral system soon after they won in 2015 to change it. 
They had this $500 million media bribery fund that they rolled out. Now you have this scandal with Elections Canada hiring liberal influencers to encourage liberal young people to vote liberal, actually recruiting the referee to get liberals out to vote. There's a pattern of behavior here that leads me to question uh, uh, just how committed uh, Justin Trudeau and the liberals are to actually fighting ethical, free, and fair elections. Okay, the liberal on the panel is John Mraz. React. My reaction is simple. Both parties have historically and consistently been guilty of electioneering on the Elections Act and using uh, laws that are tough to enforce, often have gray zones, to their own advantage. And now that I've retired from running campaigns, it is my observation that those at the helm are often corrupted by their power or prepared to ignore uh, uh, actions or even individuals who, in the name of their party, infiltrate, whether it's Elections Canada or whether they create third-party, uh, really what they would call in the state's PACs, political action committees and groups that advertise and pretend to be at arm's length but clearly aren't from uh, the political party's interest that, that, that they serve. The, the Twitter thing is interesting because... It's terrific that they say they're going to do this. It is a step in the right direction. I don't understand how they're going to get it done. What actually is, can, you know, what, what's an election ad? If you create an account as a human being, that is, you could by definition call yourself a walking political advertisement. If your Twitter account is only defined and successful and you muster 10,000 or 50,000 followers to promote for free to 50,000 people the exact views of a political party. Are you going to shut down that account if it's an individual's? I can't answer the question. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the guy who runs social media. Here's the reality. The reality is that social media is the greatest advertising force on a worldwide basis available today to anybody who wants to advertise anything, not least being political parties in any country. And we've seen how that works in Canada, but we've really seen how it works and are seeing how it works in the United States. And, and it's kind of unbridled. So uh, at this point, there are, there have always been rules about what radio can do, television can do, what newspapers can do, blackouts during certain periods of the writ, whatever. I, I think that there there've got to be a set of rules that work on a neutral basis that are not partisanly controlled. I know that's that's hard and wishing for the moon, but if we don't do that, then you don't know what you're reading, and the average guy out there looking at Facebook looks at something that seems to be a newspaper ad, not knowing that it's paid for by God knows who. David? Yeah. Listen, the old gatekeepers of media are scared, Peter. Um, you know, the rules in which radio or TV or print, like those are known rules that people could run and control. Yep. This is a new frontier that, quite frankly, the old hands who uh, are in charge of media have, are grappling with. And if I say, like, you know, if you look at, at groups like Lead Now on the left or Ontario Proud on the right, sure. these are groups that actually uh, understand the awesome power of, of social platforms uh, better than old media does. And so when you see something you don't understand, you try to bring the heavy boot down on it is apparently the response. Um, uh, it's, a very, it's a very interesting, uh, when you have, when you, when the name of the bill that the liberals put in place is called the Election Modernization Act. The word modern is in there, and yet the the stewards of the most modern communication tools, like Google, like Twitter, are saying, we're opting out. Um, that, to me, is kind of ironic, and I think it shows that this is not actually about modernization. It's really about fear. Well, you know what, John Ross, you can have the last word on this, but uh, my take is when Google or Twitter or, for that matter, Facebook say, you know what? 
we like money. We're in business to make money. We sell people and uh, information, and we target demographically. But take your money elsewhere. We don't want anything to do with this. What does that say? It says that they don't want to take legal responsibility for being the facilitator of illegal campaign donations and uh, that will never be declared. I'm going to go to a nonpartisan example. When I ran John Tory's war room in 2014, uh, a lot of vote in this city was won and lost by uh, influencers and people with strong social media accounts picking up messaging from the John Tory campaign or from the Olivia Chow campaign and duking it out online without anybody having to tell them to do so. That's all political advertising. It's unpaid. It's, it's impossible to declare it. And Twitter is just trying to get out of court. Okay. Those are the words of uh, the two experts. We're going to take a pause here when we come back, talk a little bit uh, about uh, pork produced in Canada uh, being denied entry to China and what that could do to uh, our producers in Canada going forward. And what what this means in terms of the relationship between China and Canada, which right now doesn't seem to be on a mainstream track. I am Peter Sherman. The CounterPoint guests today on the panel are John Mraz and David Tarrant. This is Global News Radio. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head-to-head. With Counterpoint. Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Well, here's Peter Sherman for Alex Pearson. John Ross is on the panel tonight. He is former Liberal War Room director with several dozen elections worth of experience. That's the way he's titled. And in studio with me is David Tarrant. Uh, he of uh, various conservative iterations, but right now, Vice President of National Strategic Communications with Enterprise Canada, and telling me uh, when we're off the air that you love it, David, so I'm happy to hear that, because uh, your work would be cut out with, uh, for you if you were still at Queen's Park, which you left in May. Yeah, and if I hadn't left in May, I wouldn't be here with you right now. So No, I guess not. There would be work to be done. All right, let's, uh, let's get on to uh, topics that are broader than Queen's Park. In this particular case, we heard yesterday, late in the day, that China was cutting off um, importing Canadian beef and pork, in other words, meat. And apparently, that's a big export item for us. Uh, We uh, do something in the order of $500 million plus with China, and now we're going to wind up doing zero. And that, that money equates to about 22% of all of the uh, the pork exports uh, from this country. So the quest- there are a couple of questions. One question is, where do we go to peddle this stuff? Are there other potential buyers offshore because we don't need it uh, here in Canada. So that leaves the the pork producers um, a bit out of whack. Uh, Notably in Quebec, where apparently 40% of the stuff comes from, but not least Ontario and Manitoba as well. And there's a a larger question, and it's the one that I want to discuss with you. that we, we talk about peeling away layers of an onion. How about adding them? Because what China keeps doing is throwing a little bit more at us, a little bit more at us, a little bit more at us, um, holding our people, uh, sentencing one guy to death, whether I don't know whether he deserves it or not, um, not wanting to talk to uh, our, our governmental people, Christopher Freeland or uh, Justin Trudeau, about any of this, probably giving Justin the cold shoulder at the uh, G20 meetings that start, I guess, tomorrow, and uh, Justin having to publicly ask the President of the United States to intervene on behalf of Canada now saying we're not going to uh, take your meat. The the question there is what's next and and uh, are are we are we on side here because it all relates to one thing, holding Meng Wanzhou from Huawei and uh, doing that on behalf of the very same United States that we've asked to intervene. How do you take this thing, David? Well, yeah, let's I mean, first of all, let's let's be clear. This is not about pork or veterinary certificates. This is about Meng Wanzhou. 
Uh, this is about Huawei, and this is about the fact that uh, that that Canada is dealing with uh, is, is having a wake up call. I think for a long time in Canada, there's been this fantasy in some of the corporate circles, uh, quite frankly, not just political circles, that China is this magical land of milk and honey where there's all kinds of opportunities and money to be made. It's a brutal dictatorship that cares nothing for the rule of law or human rights and is prepared to do absolutely anything and break any law and violate any human right or any norm in order to to satiate their, that, that regime's lust for, for well, power. There are pretty and, rotten other regimes. Saudi Arabia comes to mind. We had a dust up with them not so long ago. Correct. Correct. Uh, and so the issue here, and I certainly, and listen, let's put partisanship aside. Uh, you cannot give in to some of the world's worst actors like China. And I hope Mr. Trudeau doesn't. Uh, because right now we need to find a way to to understand the plight of our pork producers and their families, find a way to ensure that their livelihoods are protected. But this is a pure bully play. It's a pure intimidation play. Uh, they want to make Canada suffer because Canada took a stand they didn't like. And anybody who thinks that dialogue, negotiation, the rule of law, uh, uh, you know, if only we try this or try that, no. This is a country trying to impose its will using every unjust, uh, unethical form of um, of state power it can in order to get its way, and Canada has to stand firm. Okay, so you've heard heard David's point of view, John. Here we are sitting on the sidelines while it it appears from what the the Treasury of the the Secretary Treasury of of the Treasury in the United States, Steve Mnuchin, says that uh, they're 90% of the way to a trade deal between the United States and this country, so uh, vividly described by David Tarrant as a brutal dictatorship. Um, and and the United States in the way of things because they're the ones who said under the treaty we have with them that we should arrest uh, Meng Wanzhou. Uh, what do we do here? Do we give in to China as David suggests we don't? Or do we uh, hold fast and, uh, and go along and say, uh, Trudeau, you're our prime minister. Tell them to go to hell. Well, I find it ironic. I mean, one of the one of the things that we uh, that, that that comes to me as this unfolded, and I'm I'm with everything that's been said so far. I mean, I was going to say I believe this story about the certificates, like when pigs have wings. Pardon me. Second of all, we are coming from the city, the big smoke, Toronto, that used to be called what? Hogtown. Yep. And it was called Hogtown for a reason. We have a massive agrarian economy, not just here in Ontario, and and the pork that comes out of Ontario, one of the largest producers in the world. We also have the soy issue, and that's a problem with China. We have all of the wheat board. That's a problem with China. And so we are stuck between two behemoths, two massive empires, and it all comes back. And it can't simply be this, but it seems to be on the face of it. It all comes back to whether we let this alleged criminal go in Vancouver and meet China's concerns. But let's say we do that. Will they actually come back to the table? What impetus do they have? So how about this? How about we realize that we have a massive agrarian economy, we need to diversify, we need to find new trading partners and not depend on what you just rightly called a despotic tyranny or whatever language you use. We should not count these people. I think we had very strong leadership uh, under Bojan Chrétien, and uh, although Harper had a bad start, he got pretty good on the China file. Uh, and I was impressed with the way he uh, handled the Saudis. And quite frankly, I think we, we should be addressing the Saudis as well. We need to diversify our economy, find new trading partners, and we also need to put it in the United States. If you're going to put us in this position, why don't you buy our bacon?
Well, that's a very good question, and I think the two of you are pretty well in the same place. Let's uh, let's do this very quickly because we've only got about a minute, minute and a half left. Wayfair, we heard about something this morning. Everybody knows Wayfair is a big online furniture seller, and uh, they sold $200,000 worth of beds to go to a Texas detention center for children, what uh, some people are calling concentration camps. I, I really take umbrage at that. They're not concentration camps. They're not nice places, but they're not Auschwitz, um, and I'm not justifying them in any way by saying that. Uh, what I am saying is Wayfair employees decided that they were going to walk out because their company sold to the United States for this use because they believe that children are being abused, which indeed they probably are down in these centers. To me, it sounds counterintuitive. Wouldn't you want beds to go into those centers to uh, to take better care of those children as opposed to walk out because your company that distributes those beds, makes those beds, has sold them, David? Uh, listen, Peter. Yeah, I mean that's that's a fair point. Uh, I'd also say this: like, if you work for a company and that company's uh, actions violate your values, you have the option of quitting. Uh, uh, you, no one. So walk out and don't come back. I mean, like you know, uh, and that's not, I'm not talking about whistleblowers or if 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 it's someone committing a crime. Um, you know, it's fashionable in certain circles right now. Uh, uh, you know, to be come down hard on what these atrocious conditions are, and they are atrocious conditions yep. um, in, in these camps. But just say you have an employee who uh, has a different kind of political view, and they say they walk on the job because I don't know they don't like pride, right? And all of a sudden, so what are you? So all of a sudden, are you saying, well, that's a different kind of that's a different kind of view as well? And if all of a sudden you have whether or not someone goes to work in the morning is based on on the politics of the day, I think that's just wrong. I think if you sign up to do a job, you do a job. And in your own time, if you want to advocate one way or another way, by all means, advocate for the politics you believe in. But, but it, it, you know, the only reason this issue right now is because it's a cause a lot of people sympathize with. But ask yourself if it was a cause you didn't sympathize okay, with. Okay, got to stop you there and get a quick 20 seconds from you, John Ross. I think it's interesting. There were no local furniture manufacturers who were providing beds to these kids, and they do need beds down there. Everything David said was right. Uh, and it's up to you whether you work for somebody or not. And uh, it's always about normative values. So if those employees quit, I hope they have somewhere else to go. Uh, and the management factor may reconsider its points of sale going forward. There you go. Thank you, gentlemen. Really a pleasure to have you. John Roz, former Liberal War Room Director, David Tarrant, VP of National Strategic Communications with Enterprise Canada, on CounterPoint on Global News Radio. <laughs> You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.